what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. What you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Foot Candle Films. Film news and reviews from two guys who really like movies. This episode is brought to you by the Foot Candle Film Society. For a schedule of upcoming screenings and membership information, visit the Society's website at www.footcandle.org. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.TV podcast network. My name is Alan Jackson. Across the table, his name is Chris Fry. We are both directors and founders of the Foot Candle Film Society and the annual Foot Candle Film Festival coming up this September. What were the dates again? 21st through 25th? Yes, exactly. September 21st through 25th. Got to put the plug in early. We'll plug it again later, but had to get that squeeze in there first. Uh, This is our ongoing podcast of film review, discussion, and recommendations. And uh, Chris, how how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I think we've been doing this podcast for over 10 years. It feels like it. <laughs> <laughs> but because you've enjoyed it so No, much. no, it's enjoyable. Right, it's right. an enjoyable 10 years. No, has it been 10 years? I think it has been. Yeah, I was Gee, looking the other day. Yes. Yeah, I know. It just kind of creeps up on you. So we didn't even do anything special for our, our anniversary. You know, I also realized we never did anything special for like a hundredth episode True. or 200th episode, any of that stuff. Didn't we've, even do like a cake. <laughs> no, we didn't do anything. So, and Sad. and we haven't celebrated an actual annual anniversary either. So, uh, True. we just keep plugging ahead. You know, we're not in this for us. That's right. We're it's in this for everybody, babies. people listening. So, it's all about the Loyal content listeners. we're trying to share. Sure. Um, that being said, we do have some things to cover today and talk about in the world of film. Um, Chris, we're going to be reviewing the film Elvis, which is the latest Baz Luhrmann film starring Austin Butler and Tom Hanks. Then we'll be discussing the Apple TV exclusive film Cha-Cha Real Smooth, uh, written, directed, and acting uh, acting in Cooper Rafe, uh, and also Dakota Johnson in that one as well. Then after those two reviews, we'll be moving on to some movie news. I've got a few news items to share. I think, Chris, you've got a trailer you want to kind of share with the group and talk about and get some reaction to of what we're seeing as far as upcoming productions go. And then we'll wrap up the show like we always do with our recommendations. Chris and I both give a film recommendation, something we think is worth checking out. Maybe it's a film we just caught back up with. Maybe it's a new film we had a chance to see. But regardless, it's something that you would be able to find online and available for your viewing pleasure. So Chris, as I just kind of rolled it out, we got a lot to cover. So you ready to get started? So Elvis and Cha-Cha Real Smooth, not a early review of uh, the rise of uh, the Mint Grew and the Minion movie. We're not. Oh. No, okay. we're going to pass on that one. Okay. Uh, and for those keeping score, we have also passed on Jurassic World Dominion. Uh, that one did not get a review in our show either. We can't cover all the films, Chris. Right. Things we are like just Morbius are just going to pass by the way. We are just two mortal men. Right. Uh, with jobs <laughs> with, true. and with families yep. and all. So we can only review so many. We have to kind of pick and choose, but no. Uh, what was it again? Minions? I think it's Minions Rise of Gru. The Rise of Gru. I think so. Okay. We skipped that. We skipped Jurassic World and we skipped Morbius. Yep. All the ones getting all the buzz these days. You we saw Dominion. I saw Morbius. So I did. We do see him in some, yeah. 
Eh. <laughs> I did see it. Yeah. <laughs> Not a lot to go into that with sure. that. Let's go into a couple of films that I do think we're going to have some things to talk about for sure. First one up, the latest film from Boz Lerman, he of Moulin Rouge, Romeo and Juliet, uh, the great Gatsby fame, coming back after several years not making a film with a new biopic about the one and only Elvis. Okay? Yes. All right, so I will start this off. Coming back in three, two, moment Elvis the man was sacrificed and Elvis the god was born I'm gonna show you what the real Elvis is like tonight you're looking for trouble you came to the right place you're looking for trouble look right in my face he had no idea what he had done So, Chris, according to Rotten Tomatoes, I am going to crib their description, just Fair giving him credit there. Uh, the film explores the life and music of Elvis Presley, played by Austin Butler, seen through the prism of his complicated relationship with his enigmatic manager, Colonel Tom Parker, played by a Mr. Tom Hanks. I think you're familiar with him. Yes, yes. Uh, the story delves into the complex dynamic between Presley and Parker, spanning over 20 years from Presley's rise to fame to his unprecedented stardom against the backdrop of the evolving cultural landscape and loss of innocence in America. All right. That description pretty much sums up a fairly standard biopic, which makes sense. Elvis is a very, uh, you know, big figure. There's a lot to tell there. So a biopic makes sense to do of Elvis. Right. What this description does not go into though, is the director and the person making this film, a Mr. Boz Lerman. Um, Chris, I don't know, before we get into the review, I don't know what your experience was like watching this film with an audience around you at the movie theater. But I was surrounded by a very eclectic audience, both people on the older age spectrum, older than you would typically see going to a lot of opening opening weekend movies, sure, as well as a lot of teenagers. I saw y'all young people, not quite sure why. And um, within the first 10 minutes of this movie, I could tell people who were not used to this style of film and this filmmaker feeling very overwhelmed, <laughs> feeling very disjointed. And uh, that is what Baz Luhrmann's films do. It has a very unique pace and editing and use of sound and visuals and especially music to really just create an overall experience. So my question to you, Chris, is putting the whole biopic side, we'll get to the biopic part of it in a minute. I want to hear your thoughts on this as a film experience did it do justice? Was this the right pairing of Boz Lerman with this subject? Did the concoction work in this particular case? So it worked for me in that, you know, if I'm going to see a biopic, I want it to be different somehow. Sure. Um, and this, like you 
for referencing other biopics we've had recently, we've had Rocket Man, we've had Bohemian Rhapsody, Go Back, we've had um, Walk the Line, which was a more traditional mm-hmm. um, type biopic. I guess Bohemian Rhapsody kind of was too. Where Bohemian Rhapsody was Rocket, very traditional. Rocket Man tried to had like yes. a musical as well as mm-hmm. being a biopic. So it well, and, and, and Rocket Man had a lot more visual flourish to it, right. and just some interesting ways to tell the story. Now, Bohemian Rhapsody was pretty much straight down the line a straight biopic. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I guess for me. I'm not saying this was a complete because there were some connect the dot moments and things like that, or not, not connect to that, but paint by numbers type thing, mm-hmm. biopic trappings. But for me, it felt like a mashup of something like Rocket Man and Amadeus put together mm-hmm. with some Moulin Rouge thrown in. Um, because Amadeus, that famous biopic, has Salieri as like a bad guy, but kind of a mentor in a way to, or not mentor, but helper of Amadeus and everything. So that was kind of mirrored with Parker and Presley in this. So it worked for me. Is it perfect? No. Can I see why some people, which we may get into as well, some critics really hate this Mm -hmm. thing, like actively, actively hate it. Um, So for me, but I kind of like Baz Luhrmann's style. It doesn't Mm -hmm. always work for me. But um, taking the Moulin Rouge (laughs) biopic aesthetic, it it worked for me. It kept it, kept it interesting for me. So that's kind of my overall mm-hmm. take. Uh, what, what were your thoughts? I, and I do not mean to be boring with this, and I really don't like taking words that you have said and just repeating them, but I'm basically going to do the same. <laughs> I, If you're going to do a biopic, make it interesting, make it different. And this movie absolutely did that. Um, I, I, it sounds like you're generally positive on the film. I'm more positive on it. I really enjoyed this film. I had a good time with it. And I knew within the first five minutes that, wow, this is going to be a whole, a whole deal. This is going to be a whole, (laughs) a whole experience. This is going to be a Boz Lerman experience. Right. And I was scared, honestly, going into it. I thought the trailer for this film, when they marketed it, it made it look like this could be a Boz Lerman biopic. My fear was going into the film that it was not going to be, that it was going to be, maybe there were some cool touches, some interesting ways of storytelling occasionally sprinkled in, but it was still going to settle down and be a biopic, you know, the standard way. Right. And I was happy to say I'm I'm halfway through this film and I'm like, no, this film is not letting up. This is still very much in the style. Now, does it let off the gas a little bit in the latter half? Yes. However, I'm okay with it. Because I actually thought there are some moments, I think some of the scenes in the latter half of the film, I actually think are some of the better scenes in the film. Interesting. And it's not because Boz Lerman like just let the scenes play out and decided not to cross cut everything and mix in right. random music into it. It's just because I think Boz Lerman had, basically I'm talking about the whole Vegas period of Elvis's See, life. That's interesting because, okay, okay so... Yeah, within the first five minutes, I'm like, yep, I'm on board with this. And everything they were doing was clicking along and working. Going into the film, um, I thought the trailer, because we, I think we showed the trailer or yeah, listened yeah. to the trailer here on the show, and we talked about it a little bit. I was on board with it. I was yeah. like, you know, I, I hope it is a Baz Luhrmann film. It was, and sure enough, it was. It was like coming along, doing all the fast cutting and mm-hmm. crazy shots. And all, it was just all working. But... When they got to, it was curious, I guess you could say, and, you know, intentional, who knows. But once it got to Vegas and Elvis's career kind of hit the skids and he kind mm-hmm. of hits a stall, like the movie for me then kind of started dragging. Really? Yeah, because it's like, you kind of know like, okay, you know, we, we know how this ends. We know mm-hmm. he unfortunately passes away too young and he, you know, kind of, mm-hmm. and so then it just, it seemed like 
and they were getting, you know, beating a dead horse, two hours and 39 minutes. I felt like it could have been two hours. Like it, it just yeah. condensed it down. And I felt like that last third was where it really dragged. Now, although I was excited about the trailer, I think you and I both mentioned, we talked about it on the show, the key thing for me that was a worry was, <laughs> and I like him a lot. Yeah, I'm a Tom big Hanks. fan of Tom Hanks was his portrayal of Colonel Tom Parker. Now, I, going in, I know absolutely nothing about Tom Parker. I knew mm-hmm. that Elvis had a very contentious relationship with like the manager guy, and it was like this back and forth, and he helped make him famous. Like I kind of knew that, but about the person and how he like did, he had a gambling problem, none of that stuff. I didn't know any of that. But Tom Hanks worked for me in this role, even yep. though he was playing, which a movie I do not like, uh, Lady Killers by the Coen Brothers. He plays this kind of manipulating character yeah. with this like accent work, over the top. And in that film, it just didn't mm-hmm. work. Yeah. Even though I love the Coen Brothers and I like Tom Hanks, but just just didn't work. In this film, it's like he's playing the mustache twirling, which mm-hmm. you've referenced before in previous reviews, bad guy. But he is leaning way into it. Oh, and yeah. in a Boz Lerman film. It, it works. Kind of works. No, I you know I have no reservations with Tom Hanks' role in this film. <laughs> I thought it was great. Okay. I mean, I I don't think it was as good as Austin Butler. We have to talk about Austin Butler because uh, I thought Austin Butler was freaking amazing in this it, film. That, and that's one thing yeah. I don't think I've seen anyone. They may say like, oh, they hate the film. They don't think it's good. Jeez. They think Boz Lerman is you know well beyond his reach. He's like lost his touch. Whatever. But I have not heard anyone come down. On Austin Butler, no. and I don't, I don't see how you could. I mean, because I he think is really. Good. It was an amazing performance. <laughs> it was a mesmerizing performance. Yeah. I felt yeah. like, and it wasn't even that he was like putting on an Elvis impersonation. He obviously had the look and the tone and and the the vocal side of things down, but just I mean, there's moments where he has to, you know, explode. He has mm-hmm. to simmer. He has to just have that range. And he pulls them all off, and I think they're all great. So, but no, back to Tom Hanks. I, sure. I look, Tom Hanks, Colonel Tom Parker. I don't know how exactly accurate this film is. I don't I'm know how sure exactly this film is accurate about anything. I and, and I don't <laughs> but, really care. But no, neither yeah. do I. It's an interesting story, right? And Colonel Tom Parker, yes, is meant. I mean, it even is in the first piece of dialogue that Tom Hanks says. Many you people make would make me out to be, be, be the villain. <laughs> well, okay, he's going to ham it up as <laughs> the villain for the film. And it worked. Walking I, through know. the casino yeah. with like a uh, IV stand, bag, like going yeah, yeah. up to go gamble, and it's great. You know, all that stuff, I totally, totally works for yeah. me. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me get back to the to the Vegas portion because I kind of sure. want to come back to what you were saying. Okay. Sure. Yes, I do think the pace slowed, and it was a little bit of a catching your breath because I felt like that whole first hour and a half was like, wow, it was just quick. Mm-hmm. I do feel like the pacing for a biopic like this about such a interesting character with such a with such a rich short life i felt like there was so much in that first 25 years of his life that we just breezed through right so fast i mean his whole time in hollywood was basically a blip like right. maybe a 10 second montage and that was it and it's like by the time we got to vegas i felt like it had slowed i could see where it could be a little bit that the pace was dragging but i think boz lerman likes that phase of elvis so much more because he let the performances just roll and he mm-hmm. let the spectacle roll more where everything before that was montage. It was kind of like, okay, now Elvis is like a big sensation and let's get a 30 second quick montage of him singing as like this new heartthrob. And now we're going to move to this and then we're going to show you this. But when he got to Vegas, it was like, 
no, let's let him, let's let them perform a good part of a song. Mm -hmm. And it was great. Um, I think it actually started for me about the time the Christmas special came around, um, which I thought was really good. I thought that was very, now I don't know. Because they let the performances breathe a little bit. You got to actually see yeah, I like Elvis the, I kind, like of, the Christmas special kind of enjoying himself on stage. And right. I think that phase of his life that carried on till the early bit of Vegas. Now, as Vegas extended on, right. Vegas got to be a much darker period. And obviously the film showed that. But that first early couple performances in Vegas, I think Elvis was like in his element. And he's like crafting music and leading an orchestra and like you're building in sound. It was like... That was a really cool sequence. That was like I'm I'm seeing somebody that really kind of found his spark again. I get, but unfortunately, uh, situations led him to lose it again. So I think no. for me, what it is is Baz Luhrmann. His what works in his movies are the fast paced editing and the crazy visuals yeah. and the the fast pacing. It's like when it's time to slow down and be serious. He kind of doesn't know how to be serious other than just to slow things down. Yeah. Or that's well, what it I, kind of I could see that. To, like yeah. slow things way down. Like, and it's just, if for this, it, it just kind of caught me by surprise and just didn't kind of work. Okay. Um, well, but it, but it's not to say that it was bad. Um, the film just not as effective for you as the first half of the film. Right. Yeah. Right. Because okay. the different things he does, like he uses um, comic book animation at some mm-hmm. points, and I thought that was really original. Yeah. Um, just, yeah, it's just, there's a, there's a lot visually going on in the film. So, so I will say a couple minor, some misgivings okay. of the film, some things I felt like could have worked a little better. If you look at the film and, I, and, and, and again, I don't think there's really anything to spoil in this film. I mean, it is a telling of Elvis's life story, which uh, there may be a lot of embellishments along the way, but the overall end point is pretty, pretty much the same. Right. Um, the film seems to cover two topics that are ones I wouldn't have thought an Elvis biopic was going to spend so much time focused on. Okay. One in the whole first half of the movie, it's all about censorship. It's all about the gyrations, the movements. That's it. It was never about the music. Like very little about this movie is about the music he's performing. It's about the way he's performing it. And it's like the whole first half is all about censorship and all about what people want him to be versus what he's not going to be all the way up until he goes off to get drafted in the military and comes back. It's all this idea of who is he portraying Mm -hmm. on stage? Is he going to be the wild boy that's, that's thrusting his hips around or is he going to be the clean cut American hero guy? I wasn't really expecting that either. So yeah, so that was was a pretty heavy theme. And it's like the film never really spent a lot of time talking about why Elvis wanted to be a musician or why he was into music or why music was so important to him. The whole first half was all about the, 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 the machinations and the censorship and the performances. Then you get to the second half and it's all about his freedom and his ability to do what he wants to do. Right. So that's the two themes that the film covered. It didn't cover him acting hardly at all. It didn't cover him deciding to become a musician really much at all or reason for being a musician, his love of music. Yeah, so, we cut from him being like a little boy to being like going on stage. Going on stage and he's like ready to perform. He becomes like a huge sensation overnight almost. I, and actually like. he's already got the song yeah. on a record. They're mm-hmm. playing it when he goes on stage. So you stage. never really see that whole, which is fine because what I realized sure. after watching this film, this film is, is truly about his relationship 
to Parker. Absolutely. And as far as Parker's concerned, Parker doesn't care why Elvis wants to sing. He doesn't care how he writes the music. <laughs> it's all about in the first half, how do I keep this boy, uh, to be a sensation mm-hmm. and push some buttons and get some attention and make some sales. And then the latter half is how do I keep them controlled? Right. How do I keep them under my thumb to make sure I'm able to benefit from him as well? So I get it. If you look at it as the movie is seeing what Colonel Tom Parker is focused on, that's what the movie's covering. Those are the elements and themes. It's not his love of music and his desire to be a musician and writing of music or nothing like that. It's all about, the performance, how he becomes a celebrity, and then it's control. How is he limiting his ability to grow as an artist or do the kind of things he wants to do? So anyway, it's a little, it took me some time to kind of reconcile that because I was a little disappointed walking away from the film that it didn't cover some of those, I, I think, interesting topics. But then I realized that's not what the film was really interested in doing. <laughs> sure. So I get that. Um Outside of that, and I've heard this this echoed, I, I kind of came up with this and talked about this with somebody after watching the film and, and was interested to hear it echoed in a few other uh, reviews I've read since then. And I completely agree. I think the trying to tie in the cultural relevance of like the social rights uh, uh, movement, um, the, the death assassination of the Kennedys and of Martin Luther King didn't hit for me as well as I thought it should. Because it did kind of paint Elvis as a little bit more of a civil rights hero, which I don't think he really was. So that stretched it a little bit. There's a lot of sequences where you see Elvis very contemplative about what's going on. And there's even some montages of him performing juxtaposed with some some, um, civil rights movement footage and and, uh, um, speeches going on. And it just, it seemed a little odd. It just seemed a little odd because it's not, I mean, I don't, I don't think there's anybody could really attest to Elvis having been a role model for civil rights. I mean, especially since so much of the film, well, some of the film even talks about the appropriation of him taking African-American music and kind of making it his own. It kind of dances around a lot of that. And I felt like that's, it was a little, it was a little awkward at times. Sure. Didn't ultimately affect my enjoyment of the film at the end, but it was a little, some odd steps there. Well, th- something that I was, and granted, I can see like, yeah, turning him into like a civil rights figure. Yeah, that does, that did seem kind of a stretch, but something that immediately struck me that I appreciate, granted, I guess in this day and age, if you're going to try to be somewhat truthful in a biopic, mm-hmm. it'd be hard to sidestep it. But I liked, I was impressed that they acknowledged the fact that he borrowed as much as he did from African-American musicians, their performance style, how they sang all that. Like it was really clear. And even the Colonel and Najee is like, wait, this guy's white. Mm -hmm. And like, Oh, I can take all this stuff. It'll be acceptable because it's white. Like that. And like he, now granted did, Elvis really ever talked to BB King? I have no idea. Supposedly not, not, not at all of the way the film was portrayed. But like, that was an interesting thing where like, you know, so that, that whole relationship may have been just completely fabricated, but the fact that they bothered to try to show him yeah, appropriating and taking inspiration from, I was like, okay, instead of just showing him rising up out of nowhere, being really popular, playing all these songs and not acknowledge. So did they do it perfectly? No, but actually to me, I was like, cool. They're showing how he basically, yeah. It was just a big borrower. <laughs> so. Well, and it was a big borrower, and I don't think there really was any implication, any any 
uh, fallout from that. I mean, it was like, yeah, he borrowed this stuff and he maybe had a couple uh, photo sessions where he, you see him with BB King in one scene, which again was a fabricated scene, but uh, you see him kind of hanging out with some uh, other performers kind of in, in a nightclub after hours and enjoying them performing. But then for him to be the, become the runaway success and right. don't really know if it, I mean, the film tried to make it look like he was very, uh, a little more heroic in that field, which right, I didn't, rec- I don't really think it was true or warranted in the film either. So, um, but again, didn't really affect my enjoyment. Just something I thought was an interesting choice to weave into the film, trying to make it a little more relevant, I think to some societal issues even today. Sure. Um, but otherwise, I, I really enjoyed the film. I thought it was just exhilarating. I, I just had a lot of fun watching it. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm very, very high on the film. I You will say something that surprised me. Um, his mom called him Booby. Yep. That was a discovery for me. I mean, mm. his name is Elvis Aaron Presley. Yeah. They never give any background behind that. But the first time she said it, I was like, what like that and then she repeated it a couple more i'm like no she's calling not bobby yeah booby she's calling him booby yeah, i'm like that eh, was interesting okay which something also like like i said i had other than the fact he sang and he was really popular and he died of you know all that kind of stuff i knew like the the cliff notes of mm-hmm. Elvis. so i got a little more insight into colonel tom parker which was interesting which there again i don't know if i did or not because i don't know how much of it's true did he not let elvis go on a tour because a worldwide tour because he didn't have a passport and didn't he wanted to be in control like all that stuff don't know don't know if that's true or not yeah um but yeah just the interesting to me kind of thing was he had his family. He cared about his family, which I think that much I think is pretty accurate because I remember Graceland and buying it for his parents. Mm-hmm. He really had a kind of an interesting relationship with his mother. And I mean, yeah, she called him booby, but also she seemed to be very controlling of him and he really cared. And then she passes away and Colonel Tom Parker kind of just mm-hmm. immediately oh, takes yeah. over. So it's like in the absence of a mother figure, he got both a father figure and a mother figure in, and not in a good way yeah. in Colonel Tom Parker. So I thought that was kind of interesting because it wasn't just, oh, you have a loving mother and father. No, like at times she seemed to be kind of controlling of, yeah. um, of her son, which makes sense. But I, I thought that was kind of interesting, which I didn't know that yeah. whole aspect of it. I, so. you know, I'm with, yeah, for somebody who did not know all the particulars of Elvis's career and life, I found it incredibly fascinating. And again, I, I don't even want to read up to know how much of it was true or not. I mean, I, I look at really it as a story. Yeah, it's a I story. know the end result's the same. I know the impact he had on society is basically the same. How it got from A to B, I'm okay with a little a little flourish, a little embellishment and some storytelling. Um but it did make me incredibly interested in Colonel Tom Parker as an individual. So um, now, yeah, I didn't, I thought the performances were great. Again, I'll just say Austin Butler. Uh, the only thing I remember him seeing, seeing him in besides Elvis now is uh, once upon a time in Hollywood, mm-hmm. he was Tex, Tex, I believe one of the guys on the, the uh, Manson ranch at the movie. Um, but other than that, I mean, he was, he was phenomenal. He was absolutely fun. I think he is, he is a reason to watch this film. Sure. I think Boz Lerman is a reason to watch this film if you are a fan of his other work. And even if you're not either of those things, you just are really fascinated by Elvis, want to learn more, you will get it. I mean, it's not, it's definitely not the formatted 
typical biopic. You're going to have a lot of, a lot of mental and visual processing to do to, <laughs> to appreciate the film. Right. But I do think it's quite an experience and it completely worked for me. So I was kind of surprised. I'll just call it real quickly. Some, I guess you would say they were cameos. I mean, there were smaller roles in the film, but I was surprised to see them. Um, I mentioned BB King that's played by Kelvin Harrison jr. Yep. He was the one that was really good. Yeah. He was good in loose. He was also in Cyrano. Cyrano. So yeah, kind of cool. And at first I didn't recognize him, but I was like, Oh yeah, that's, that's that guy. (laughs) Um, Kelvin Harrison. So cool to see him. Um, Cody Smith McPhee. Oh, right. Yes. Um, playing a really small role as like a admirer of Elvis. Who's like a up and coming young musician who has a father who's already kind of famous and he's kind of riding on his father's coattails, but he just becomes this huge Elvis fan. So kind of kind of crazy to see Cody Smith McPhee in such a small role after having been nominated for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. You know? So, um, but that was just really interesting um, to see that. Just kind of I'm yeah. not really surprised. I did not expect him, him to be in the film either. So that was. And nice. then the last one that was kind of cool for me because I am a big fan of Moulin Rouge um, was seeing Richard Roxburgh, who plays Elvis Presley's father, Vernon. Mm-hmm. He played the bad guy in yeah. Milan Rouge. So that was kind of fun. The Duke in Milan Rouge. So that was kind of fun seeing, you know, Bosleman kind of pulling one of his cast of characters and sticking him in this movie. But it, it worked. You know, it was kind of cool seeing seeing those people in there. So yeah, I agree. enjoyed that. I I think it's a high recommendation for me. It sounds like a pretty pretty fair, yeah. positive recommendation from you as well. Yes. So that is Elvis, directed by Bos Lerman. It uh, is doing pretty well for a, a movie of its type in the box office right now. So it should be around for a few weeks more in the theaters. But uh, we're both saying we think you should check it out. There's a lot to see here, a lot to appreciate. All right, Chris, let's go on to our second review. This one is one that I think there may have been some limited theatrical release, but it's primarily an Apple TV Plus movie. That is where you can see it right now. It is uh, directed and written by and also uh, starring Cooper Rafe. The film is Cha-Cha Real Smooth. I can't believe college is over. You have a job now? We're not allowed to talk about jobs at the Batman's party. So you either don't have a job or you have a bad job? How much does a party starter get paid, I wonder? I have a bad job, yeah. Honey, I'm not just saying this because I'm your mother, but I feel like you're way ahead of the game. 25-year-old writer, director, and actor Cooper Rave has now made his second feature. Like his first film, let's go with the family-friendly title of Pooh House, he once again wrote, directed, and starred in Cha-Cha Real Smooth, the story of a college grad without a clear idea of what he wants to do in his life. It was a hit at Sundance at its premiere, and it was picked up by Apple and debuted on their streaming service June 17th. So pretty, pretty recent. Alan, what did you make of Cha-Cha Real Smooth? And do you think Apple TV Plus might have another, if not Best Picture winner, on its hands, at least a possible nomination in some category? So what do you think Apple did a good job picking this up? What was your what was your take on Cha-Cha Real Smooth? So uh, And you have not seen you have not seen the previous film. I have Poo, not. Pooh House. Pooh House. <laughs> okay. Uh, or or you can say asterisk, exclamation point, dollar sign, pound sign. House, House, right. right. Um, No, I did not see his other film. So this is my first experience with him and his films. Um, This is a good film. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it is a fine film. Okay. I had a good time watching it. Okay. I like Cooper Rafe 
with some reservations. I'll explain in a little bit. Oh, but overall, it was a charming film to watch. Yeah, you gave a, a kind of a one-line summary. I mean, it, it does go a little deeper than just the one-line description there as far as the plot. I mean, you know, it is a story of someone in kind of their young 20s trying to figure out who they are, trying to figure out their place in life, a little bit of this idea of growing up and, mm-hmm. you know, kind of at a weird spot in their life, still living at home and kind of having a really crap job, but not quite sure how to get to that next point and kind of just grabbing a hold of whatever is floating in front of you. Right. But there's also a subplot of him, uh, you know, not only getting hired and, and being a party starter for bar mitzvahs, but he also becomes kind of a, a sitter and a, 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 I don't say a babysitter, but kind of a, just a, a companion for a young uh, autistic girl. Um, the girl's mother hires a mom. And then, of course, there's a interesting relationship that develops between him and the mother. Sure. So there's a lot going on. All of it's engaging all of it's entertaining um by the end of the film i kind of question what did it what did it all mean (laughs) because i don't really feel like it got anywhere Mm. i felt like it was interesting scenarios interesting characters interesting moments but without a real uh, without a real narrative to kind of bring it all together to make it mean something in the end I kind of ended the film being like, okay, I don't really know why this film existed as opposed to it being really some good performances, some good moments, some great scenes, some great dialogue. But then it just, why did this exist as a complete movie? Hmm. I don't really know. So that's my take on it. Um, I got some real strong call outs to give positives. I got a couple negatives, but I want to hear your thoughts on this, Chris. So my big, so it started off, I have seen the previous film and this one started off and I was like, okay, let's go. Let's see what he's going to do with his sophomore film. And I liked it. And I found myself smiling at several points. You know, he's, I think the thing that Cooper Rafe has going with him is he can write some really naturalistic dialogue and he can play it off. And he's like, he's got charm. He's like Mr. Mm. Charm. You know, that's what he succeeds in doing. He just is so charming and such a puppy dog and all that kind of stuff. So it was, that was good. But in the end, I felt like it was too close to kind of going along the same similar themes as S house. Mm, (laughs) Um, Because basically that is a college student who's a freshman in college. He's struggling with where he fits in. Uh, And this is like, okay, now I've graduated from college and I'm I'm still struggling with fair meaning. And it's, and you know he it basically you could say this I mean it's, he's named differently in this film than he was in the first but you could say no this is that character like four mm. years later <laughs> okay so for me there was nothing new about this character yeah so that kind of held me back a little bit because although you know we'll probably talk about performances in a little bit I like the performances overall yeah there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot there other than you know it's no. it's it's interestingly scripted, but the story itself, it felt kind of thin. Yeah. No, that's a good way of saying it. It's it's a thin movie. I mean, and again, I I don't want to discredit it and say there are some really, really nice scenes and moments in this film. There's some great dialogue in the scene, uh, this film, there are some great performances in this film, but at the end of the film, I just, I didn't feel like there was a real justification for why this film existed other than to be a collection of those things I just rattled off. Again, if the if the if the if the theme is 
a 20 something year old trying to figure out kind of where his place in life is. I don't really think we got any development on that by the end of the film. If our, if our, of our story was to also talk about a mother that is, had a very kind of interesting background and is now suffering through a very realistic form of depression that I think was really depicted well in the film. I don't really feel like we got any real clarity on where we were by the end of the film with that either. So it's like, it was nice moments with some really great characters that just, I just don't think really took us anywhere. Right. Um, I will say though, on the acting side, I do want to call out. I mean, I, I thought Dakota Johnson to me was a real standout in this. I thought she was, it, I mean, I've seen her in perform a lot of good things. She's a good actress. You're a big fan of her work in uh, 50 shades of gray. Absolutely. And it's great. <laughs> she, uh, she in this film is a very understated role, sure. but she's good. Oh, yeah. she very is. good. She Dealing is. with someone that, I mean, it's always a great performance when a film is meant to be a very realistic, uh, film and you see a performance and you can say to yourself, yep, I know people like this. Mm -hmm. I know people who have dealt with this same kind of thing and I get it. And that's what I saw in her performance and it, and it really worked for me. Um, and then, you know, Cooper Rafe, like you said, is very, very charming. If I had to give a negative, I do feel like there's some smugness mm. that was just sometimes a little hard to swallow. Okay. Um, I can see that. Almost just, a, it's a very smug smile he has on his face, even when he's delivering very serious dialogue. Mm. It's a little off-putting, but also I get it. That's kind of who this guy is. Sure. And he is a charming, fun guy, but he's also sarcastic and smug as hell, you he's know, too. Like a, so He's kind of like a player all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it's that. a little, it was a little much at times, especially when the film needed him to be very, very uh, sympathetic. Mm -hmm. and very, I, I, it was hard for me to kind of feel like he's learning anything or he's mm -hmm. really taking what he's experiencing for granted. I don't know. Uh, that didn't work as well, but I always give anybody who's, serving as both writer, director, and actor. I'm like, sure. I give them a little leeway. I'm it's like, a, all right, look, it's a lot going on. you got a lot, you're pulling on this thing. So sure. I'm going to give you a little grace room on your acting performance. As long as you keep the directing uh, pretty tight for me. Um, the, the young actors, uh, Evan Asante as David, his younger brother, mm -hmm. I really liked. And then, then Vanessa Burghardt as Lola, mm -hmm. all very, very good. Yes. I really liked the young, young performers in this. So he's got some great casting underway with some of these young performers. So um, I did enjoy the film. Sure. I had a good time watching it. There are some moments that, yes, I was smiling and laughing, and, and, and it was very charming and enjoyable. There are some plot moments and beats that I felt like are were dropped in just to get them to a certain point where they could have a certain line of dialogue or have a certain uh, follow-up scene that he really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. There's like a fight that breaks out at one point that I went back and watched it trying to understand why did this fight even happen? <laughs> and it's because the follow-up scene in the car on the way home was really, really good. It's like, okay, I get it. You kind of needed this to happen to make this scene happen, but I'm okay with it. Cause I like that follow-up scene. Sure. So I'm willing to go with it. Right. Um, but overall I, I did enjoy it. I just, I wish there was a little more meat on the bones by the end of the movie. Um, I wish the film kind of took me somewhere as opposed to just kind of spinning me around for an hour and a half. So, <laughs> well, and I mean, you being spun around and that's kind of how he feels like he is just being spun around, mm -hmm. not really going anywhere, spinning his wheels, you know, doing this job as a party starter. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think, I think that was for me, like 
the opening kind of like it's in a way it's bookended because there is like a flash forward to mm-hmm. a year later and it starts off with Andrew Cooper Rafe's char- character as a kid and basically becoming infatuated with a party starter at one of these yeah. little parties he's been sure. to. He becomes infatuated with them. So then flash forward, he becomes a party starter and he becomes infatuated with one of the moms that's coming to this Dakota Johnson's character, Domino, um, which kind of a crazy name, but we'll let that go. Um, so, and then it, the film's ending, which I won't spoil, it kind of it kind of goes kind of where you knew it was going to go all along, where it kind of has to go. So I think the lack of a surprise of where the film ends and how it ends wasn't as impactful for me, kind of because I just, I don't know, it just seemed like kind of predictable, I yeah. guess. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. And again, I also feel like we had such great relationship building with several different pairs of people that I just don't feel like we got any real payoff for Mm -hmm. in any way, shape or form. I'm not saying I needed a happy ending. I'm not saying I needed everybody to be together the way I wanted them to be, (laughs) but I just felt like there was even like very little resolution. Anybody. I mean, you take, there's a whole like kind of real subtle subplot going on with, uh, his mother Mm -hmm. and her, yep. And her, her husband. Yes. And there's like some animosity kind of between, uh, um, uh, Andrew and his new stepfather yes. or, and there's some moments where you feel like there's It's going to go somewhere and it just done really. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the relationship with, uh, Andrew and his mother, which I thought was also a very good sure. relationship by the end, just kind of fizzled. There wasn't really anything really there for that. Even his young brother, I felt like that just kind of fizzled out. So it's like all these things that were such great relationships and great things that could have been, leading somewhere. You just kind of wanted them to tie together a little bit more. Just a little bit. Again, yeah. I don't need it in a nice bow wrapped up in a box. I just, I felt like there needed to be something. And instead we just got kind of get a nice montage of, of Andrew dancing at a party, having fun. I'm like, <laughs> okay, great. But what his, does this mean? What does this mean? And even his relationship with Lola, the, the young uh, girl that he kind of was helping with, that didn't really go anywhere. It's like, it actually just kind of got dropped in the last 10 yep, minutes or that, so. I think that was kind of a disappointment point for me. Right. So it's, there was some just because disappointment. Because I really liked her character. Mm-hmm. I really liked, I liked his character. I liked their interactions together. Yeah. And then for that just to kind of be, yeah, just kind of dropped. But Yeah. It was, it was just disappointing by the end that it just didn't go yeah. anywhere. I don't feel like, but an enjoyable hour and a half plus of time to watch this and just some great moments, great characters. So, I'm, 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 I'm recommending it. It's not a terribly strong recommendation, but I'm saying, look at, I think there's something here. I think there's something enjoyable here. I just, I wish it did more with what it had. I'll say I, if I would be interested in your thoughts on his first film, um, I think it is, even though it's a slighter film, I think it's actually a better film, but maybe there's, cause it'd be interesting to see like, because that's the one I saw first. So would you be like, no, Cha-Cha Rules is way better than the other one. I'd be interesting to see, cause they're also, No known names in that film. See, maybe that would help it a little bit. I don't know, because it would just come across as more of a slice of life film and more of a, I'm just kind of following along for this period of time and I don't need it to really be profound or go anywhere. Right. Maybe having a bigger budget, some star power behind it. I kind of felt like it just could have gone, it could have used those people more to do something. Gotcha. And I don't feel like it did by the end. So So you'll have to, at some point, watch the other film and uh, give a report back. What I also was thinking upon leaving the theater was like, okay, he's got these two movies. He wrote, directed and started them. It's just him. Like, you know, I'm like, okay, 
what what's this guy going to do? What's he going to do next? Is he going to do another movie about a guy who's now he's a now tw- moved out? He's, he's a twenty six like, year old right? living on his own, doesn't know where to go in life, doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing. Right. So yeah. I was you know wondering about that. Um, so his next film, if you know you can believe, I'm looking at this on Letterbox, is called The Trashers. It tells the story of the rise and fall of Jimmy Galante, a Danbury, Connecticut trash magnet an associate of the Genovese crime family starring as Mr. Jimmy Galante is one David Harbor. Oh, okay. So well, like it him. looks like for his third film, if this does follow, there's not a date connected with it yet, Yeah. but if this is his third film and he's supposed to be, he is a writer. He's not the writer, but he is one of the writers on this film. This could be a completely different well, film, like a well, departure. Good. So kind of a, I guess kind of a biopic about a, about a mobster guy. Um, okay. So I'm, I'm interested. Sure. Now, I, I think the guy's talented. Sure. No doubt about it. Uh, and again, I, for it being a second feature film that he's written, directed, and stars in, and it to be as as engaging and as entertaining as it is for a bulk of the duration, I, I, was, I was pretty pleased with it. So. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And I'm glad that he's going to kind of step out and do something a little different for his third. Agreed. So. Agreed. So that is Cha Cha Real Smooth. That is available on Apple TV Plus. If you are a subscriber, you have it waiting for you right now. Beyond that, I don't know when it will be available for the rest of the masses, but um, probably not too long off to be able to see that any other way. Okay, Chris, let's take a quick little break. When we come back, we've got some movie news to share. I've got three stories in particular of just some interesting projects that are being announced or discussed I want to share with you. You've got a trailer you want to talk about for a new film coming out. And then we're both going to have our recommendations to share with the group as well of films we think are worth checking out. So uh, that's all coming up in just a moment. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with Foot Candle Films here in just a moment. This podcast is sponsored by Jackson Creative, a custom communication agency located in downtown Hickory, North Carolina, specializing in online content creation. To learn more, Visit thejacksoncreative.com. Jackson Creative, we tell your story. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Foot Candle Films here on the Mesh.tv. Alan Jackson and Chris Fry back here with you. We just had our reviews of the films Elvis and the film Cha Cha Real Smooth. Both positive reviews. I will go ahead and tell you, I was much higher on Elvis. I had a much better time, much more enjoyable time with Elvis. I thought that was a real feast to behold. Cha-Cha Real Smooth, I thought it was a good, enjoyable film. I just felt like it was lacking a lot of meat on the bones, I guess you could say, for the film. That's fair. And you were positive on both films, too, so... Yeah, positive on both, and because they're so different... Yeah, it's it's hard hard to gauge them. say, like, which one I would give a higher star rating or something, Mm. too, because they are so very different. Sure, understood. Um, I will say, you know, the... Which we kind of mentioned, but the girl who, the Lola girl in Cha Cha Real Smooth, she's mm-hmm. like my highlight because I thought yeah, that she's was a really very good, good portrayal of somebody with autism. And I, I thought, well, it was and, and I'm so glad it was actually an actress with autism, right? Uh, instead of somebody trying to play that, which I just don't think yeah, you that's need. Been kind of a there are talented, there are talented actors out there with those disabilities. I'm I'm happy to see. You someone didn't feel with like it, it was taking advantage of oh, that no. storyline, or no? It was just no, no. It was what I'm it was saying. very very well done. Okay, well, let's talk some movie news, Chris. Sure. Um, I got three items to share with you. Just some quick hit ones. Probably not a lot to go into on any of these, but just ones I thought were interesting. Okay. We discussed Mr. Boz Lerman in the uh, first half of the show with his 
obviously his film, Elvis. Yes. So Boz Lerman, he's been around for a while. He hasn't really made that many films in the grand scheme of things. Right. You've got Strictly Ballroom. Seen it. You've got uh, Moulin Rouge. Seen it. You've got um, Australia. Slept through it. Okay. <laughs> you got The Great Gatsby. Seen it. Oh, Romeo and Juliet. I forgot Seen Romeo it. and yeah. Juliet. That's five. And then now Elvis. So you, six films? You said Great Gatsby. There, I did. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six okay. films. That's it, I believe. Um, so kind of, you know, for being, I mean, those movies go back quite a bit. I mean, oh, yeah. Strictly Ballroom was like mid-90s? Late 90s? Like yeah. yeah. Um, but you mentioned one, <laughs> when I just list out the films, you said the one that you slept through, Australia. Yeah. Hugh Jackman. Nicole Kidman. Nicole Kidman. Right. Sweeping epic about the continent of Australia. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Honestly, I, I've wondered if I should ever go back and revisit it. Up, oh, I have a solution for you. Is he remaking it? Even better. What? Boz Lerman is expanding Australia Whoa. into a six-episode director's cut with a whole different name. It is now going to be called Fairway Downs. He is taking the director's cut full version okay. that he shot for Australia okay. and cutting it up into six episodes of a miniseries. Where is he putting this? It is going to be put on Hulu. Am I, I going to have access Hulu. to it? Hulu. 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 Um, you know what? In chunks, it might prove to be, because obviously the acting is good. I just remember being bored and falling. Okay. I, I fell asleep. But because I don't think, which is weird for him, I don't think it has musical aspects to it, hmm. but maybe I just was asleep and didn't know. Well, um, what he said, which I think is interesting, is he said that um, he had originally set out to make Australia the film as kind of this big sweeping, kind of gone with the wind style epic. He's originally from uh, Australia. He is, right? absolutely. Yeah, okay. So it's Nicole Kidman and uh, yeah, Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Jackman. Right, yeah. right, right. Okay, so it's kind um, of a love letter in a way, yeah. I guess. But he says that you know, while the film Australia has its own life, he said there's another telling of this story it's one that includes alternative plot twist that an episodic format has allowed us to explore. So in other words, he shot all, I mean, there's no new footage. This is all existing stuff. He shot for like a major long director's cut. Maybe that's just the problem. The cut that he had to win it. And it's still a long movie. If I remember correctly, just didn't make a lot of sense because he had so, okay. (laughs) Well, this article in variety that was kind of announcing this and talking about it is saying that, uh, you know, the film Australia supposedly you know, came out in 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a love letter to his native country. It was a box office flop, did not do well at all. Um, and critics were kind of passive and mixed on it. Nobody like was negative on it. It was not many were just nobody really saw much to really champion for it. Got you. It has grown in its reputation over the years. I think there have been some kind of a little more of a resurgence, people wanting to see it, people talking about it more. So it sounds like between that and then Elvis is actually a big hit right now for him. Okay. It's kind of a time to say, hey, if this is a piece of work he doesn't feel like was appreciated or handled as well as it should have been, let's do it a different way. And that's what he's doing. So six episodes in more episodic format, but it's going to be all existing footage from his original shoot from Australia. So you're looking at so at least like hour long. Or? I got to say, it's got to be at least four to five hours long if you wow. put it all together. That's I mean, crazy. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see it just cause I've always wanted to revisit. Yeah. So fairway downs, fairway downs. Huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. I don't get any of these. I don't understand quite what the reference is for that. I don't know if that's where that, like, oh, the place no, here it lived. is. It's the place that, uh, 
Lady Sarah Ashley, played by Kitman, inherits. It's called Fairway Downs. Okay, gotcha. So again, the movie centers on an English aristocrat, played by Kidman, who inherits Fairway Downs, a large cattle ranch in Australia following the death of her husband. Mm. When Australian cattle barons plot to take her land, she reluctantly joins forces with a cattle drover, played by Hugh Jackman, to Here protect her ranch. Yeah, there gotcha. you go. Okay. I'm curious, because I've never seen Australia. Okay. That's the one of his films I've never seen. And I'll, I don't think I watched it because I just heard to me people saying, <laughs> eh, it's not really that great and it's too long or whatever. Right. This kind of format, yeah, I may actually want to give this a shot now. So, okay. good. Interesting. Okay, that is first item. Second item. Uh, this is a much quicker one. Just I just want to mention the name just because I think it's interesting. We've discussed how Ryan Johnson, uh, director of Brick, and uh, Star Wars, The Last Jedi, mm-hmm. um, Looper, and then most recently he did Knives Out. Mm-hmm. Uh, Knives Out was a big hit. It was yes. a murder mystery starring uh, Daniel Craig. And uh, they decided to expand on that and make it more of its own kind of murder mystery series. where with Kind of like you used to have with Agatha Christie books, where it's kind of like, the one central detective and it's just hopping between different stories. Well, that's what they're going to do with knives out. So we had mentioned, I think already as a news item that, you know, they were, he had signed on with Netflix to do more, which I thought that was surprising. I thought that was surprising. Like obviously knives out made a lot of money and his follow-up is going to do the same thing. Like normally, like, you know, would you put a James Bond movie on Netflix where you wouldn't think so. So like a follow-up to this, is straight to Netflix. So yeah. I was kind of surprised by that. It was a little surprising. Uh, they have announced though that that the the sequel will be coming out uh, later this year. Okay, it is going to be holidays of this year, holiday twenty twenty two season, and the name is it's going to be Glass Onion, a Knives Out mystery. So Knives Out is kind of now the brand name mm-hmm. of this murder mystery series. You're still going to have Detective Bernard Blanc, which is played by Daniel Craig, as the uh, as the lead detective in the series. Mm-hmm. Uh, the film is making its world premiere at the Toronto International Film Festival in September. Okay. So uh, we'll be able to hear kind of right after that, I'm sure, how it performs or how it is. Or it may be eclipsed by the Foot Candle Film Festival because that'll be happening around in September True. at the same time. So they will be, be so much butting right up against each other. So, right. Okay. They're going to be competing for attention, sure. media attention during mid-September, I'm afraid. Right. Um, so, uh, you know, interested to see where this goes, but I kind of like the title Glass Onion. All um, I can think of is the Beatles song. I know. Same here. But, um, <laughs> but yeah. And maybe there's something to do with that. Yeah, maybe. Could be. But um, I just think it's interesting that they're actually naming it, the name of the film, A Knives Out Mystery. You know, yeah, maybe of, Ryan Johnson's like, I can't do Knives Out too. Or like right. No, spinner, no. Or, and know, I'm so glad because that, that just sounds weird. Like Even yeah. A Knives Out Mystery sounds weird to me. It's like, I'd almost be, I'd almost rather it be a, Bernard Blanc um, mystery, yeah. you know, because Knives Out was still, that was the name of the first film. Sure. And then the fact that Knives Out, I mean, there was a whole array of knives in mm-hmm. the film that kind of gave it the name. So anyway, right. that was an interesting choice. It's how they can keep their branding in place, but yet they are entitled to give completely different stories with different cast. Uh, I will say, I think we've mentioned the cast before on this, but it's pretty loaded. It is. Called? Edward Norton, Janelle Monet. Catherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Jennifer Henwick, Madeline Klein, Kate Hudson, Dave Bautista. So yeah. it's pretty pretty big. Not a single one the same as the first one except for Daniel right. Craig. Right, so, right. Interesting. Okay, uh, last item. And this is going to segue. I'm going to kind of do a two for here, if you don't mind. Okay. I'm going to 
just hit on this briefly because it's going to lead into my recommendation later on after we do the trailer. So interesting. Uh, yeah. Okay. Um, you did never saw Ghostbusters Afterlife. I the uh, the uh, Jason Reitman uh, latest Ghostbusters film, correct? I okay. never saw it. All right. Um, well, in case you you weren't aware, the film takes place is uh, a follow up to the original two Ghostbuster films. Okay, and ignores the ignores the female led okay. uh, Ghostbusters. Okay, unfortunately, because I I still have a soft spot in my heart for that film. I thought it was fun. Um, this one uh, came out, I think, a year last year, I believe. And it was just announced that they are making a sequel. So that movie was successful enough okay. that they are continuing this new franchise of Ghostbusters. Hmm. Um, I'm not going to spoil the original, the first film for you, Chris. But let me just say that the uh, the last moments of the film where a majority of the, all the film is taking place out in a more rural Oklahoma area. Right. I remember the trailer. Yeah. Sure. Um, the last scene does fairly indicate that the Ecto one, uh, Ghostbusters vehicle is making its way to New York city. Okay. okay. Leaving at that. So that is actually what's going to be happening in the follow-up movie. It is going to be again, Jason Reitman directing. Okay. So this is Ivan Reitman's son kind of carrying, passing the torch on to the next generation. He's taken a hold of it, and he's going to continue the Ghostbusters franchise now. Um, and yes, it will be taking place in Manhattan. Hmm. And um, the code it's, the code name for this movie that they're working under for production purposes is Firehouse, just like the Firehouse Station gotcha. where the Ghostbusters, the original ones, is the, worked. The kids, because one of the kids is a, is it Finn Wolfhard who's in Afterlife? Is he returning for this as well? Um, have not seen yet. Cause he's Mr. Stranger things. Like, so I didn't know if he was have not seen yet. Okay. Um, I would guess that because the way the last film ended, okay. yes, okay. I would think they would be is Paul Rudd. I would guess. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, again, hard to say without spoiling things. Correct. But sure. I got um, you. but I do think, uh, I, I, I got a feeling that yes, yeah, no news about which cast members were returning, but I've got to think there's got to be something to that. Okay. Um, I would hope anyway. I think there are some good moments with that new cast in there. Okay. Um, so that is uh, the new one coming out. So it'll be Ghostbusters colon something. I don't know if Firehouse <laughs> is going to be the actual name or if that's just a internal uh, production name they're using for now. But that should be coming out. It looks like December 2023. Okay. So about a, about a year and a half from now. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm I'm personally happy that that's able to continue. Um you know, the female-led, the Paul Fagg version got kind of lambasted by critics and by by people watching. And, uh, I mean, made okay money, but just right. didn't set any records. And there just didn't seem to be any enthusiasm to continue it. Again, I felt like that might have been a little bit of a shame. But um, this one obviously did make enough money to say, yeah, we're going to keep on going. So, there we go. Fair enough. All right, now, Chris, you had an item to share with us in this new section as well. Sometimes we like to do our little trailer tapas, where we do just a little morsel, like a trailer, to talk about about a new film coming up. I think you have one to share with yes. us right now. Just Is that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, it's a new um, film that's going to be coming out, I think, 
towards the end of the year, mm-hmm. but uh, they just released a trailer for it. It stars Saoirse Ronan and Sam Rockwell, and it's called See How They Run. So we'll See listen. How They Run. So we're going to play the audio from the trailer. Yes. It may not be the best experience to enjoy the trailer. If it sounds intriguing to you, definitely go check it out online to watch it. But we're going to play the audio from the trailer, and then we'll be back at the end to talk about this this trailer. Victim's name is Leo Kopernik, sir. Seems he was killed in the costume store. And then he was deposited here. Staged, so to speak. Sorry, sir. How much longer do you intend to hold us all hostage? Or is that the idea? Gather all the suspects and interrogate each of us in turn until the mystery's solved? Marvin Cochranar's overrated playwright. Celebrated playwright? Oh, I'm so sorry, sir. I can't read my own handwriting. Okay. So the trailer for See How They Run. Um, that, okay. It's interesting, Chris. I uh, So tell me a little bit more about this film. Do you know who directed it? I don't. Um, but here's, here's, here's my thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have watched, the, just recently I caught up with uh, Death on the Nile, yeah. the second Kenneth Branagh directed mm-hmm. Agatha Christie thing. Yeah. Um, I still, I, I thought it was better than uh, Murder on the Orient Express. Would not have taken much. <laughs> no, mm-hmm. that is very true. But I still didn't think it was good. Yeah. And I wanted it to be good because I like the idea. When you and I reviewed, I think when it was, we were talking about Knives Out, you were all excited to get kind of like a mystery. Absolutely. And not necessarily like a clue, which is fun and all that kind of stuff, but more of a comedy than a mystery, but still had a little bit of a mystery, I guess. But more of like a mystery mystery like oh Agatha Christie that would be fun that's not I thought those movies were terrible I really like Knives Out you had a little bit of reservation with it because of like some misdirection and stuff this movie to me see how they run it looks like it's taking it's going to be a mystery air quotes but it's going to take kind of the clue thing where it is an outright comedy which I think could be really fun so there will be a mystery but who did it doesn't really matter. Right, that's not the sole reason <laughs> right. you're watching this film. Right. Um, so I think it. I think it looks like a lot of fun. I think it, it does, said September. Yeah, it looks like a lot of fun. I like Sam Rockwell. I like I like Saoirse Ronan. Yeah. To see Saoirse Ronan kind of get to play a little more uh, a zany comedic yeah. role, I think would be fun. Yeah, and I think Sam Rockwell looks like gets to play a much more <laughs> low key, very <laughs> understated role. What, now, am I correct in saying that Rit, Richard Attenborough is a character? It, in this film. So it would seem, yes. Like the actor Richard Attenborough. So this has kind of got some meta things going on where it's a murder mystery, but yet it takes place in a real Hollywood setting with a real actor. Or, yeah, or it's a, it's in England, I think. But yeah. But well, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. Right, yeah right, I mean, right. like, yeah. But in that, I guess I'm, when I say Hollywood, I'm meaning right, right, right. movie making world, um, you know. So the director is Tom George, who okay. I am not familiar with him I'm not at either. all. Mm-mm. Um, so he has apparently done some other films, but not ones I'm familiar with. Is this a film, uh, going to theaters or is it going to be streaming? I believe it is going to be, uh, going to theaters, but he's done a lot of TV work over in England with the BBC. So he's done a lot of TV work. This may be his first feature film. Those of you listening to it probably couldn't pick out, but, uh, Adrian Brody is also in the film as well. So, uh, I think he plays the person who gets killed, but it's kind of hard to tell, but yeah. I, I'm intrigued. Iris, I've been looking for a good murder mystery film. The reason Knives Out didn't work 100% for me is that 
I felt like they were, I felt like it was just trying to be too sly with misdirection and mm-hmm. saying, Hey, you, we, we're going to set this up. Like it's a murder mystery. Like you need to like pay attention and try to see if you can decide who you think is the, the, the murderer. Oh, by the way, all, all that, forget about that. That's not really that important. <laughs> just stay along for the ride. We'll take you the rest of the way. Right. That just bothered me a little bit. I still enjoyed it. I still thought it was a, a good film. You're I just still excited about the sequel. I, I am now that I know kind of more on I'm getting into. That's fine. Sure. Um, but yeah, I'm actually, I, I hope they could pull it off where it's a true mystery. Sure. Truly like you are trying to figure this out, but it's really funny, funny. along the way. Right. And that would be great. Okay, good. Interesting. I had not heard about that at all. So the, very yeah, great. It was the first time I saw the trailer drop. That was the first time I'd heard of it too. That's so great. We'll see. Okay. Well, that is our news items and our trailer tapas little section. So as we kind of recap, Boz Lerman's doing Australia into a six episode director's cut series. Knives Out sequel is called Glass Onion coming to Netflix this holiday season. And then Ghostbusters Afterlife did get a sequel greenlit that we should be seeing next holiday season 2023. All right, Chris. So now we wrap up with our recommendations. Chris and I both comb through our letterboxed and movie library to see what films are we catching up with? Have we seen recently that we think are worth recommending to the audience? And um, I'm going to let you go first because I'll wrap up. Mine kind of ties back to one of the news items, as I mentioned before. So what do you have for us today, Chris, to recommend as a film? So I'm going to recommend a film from 2021, uh, Nia DaCosta's Candyman. Mm. So this was... I mean, I think the first Candyman came out in the in the 90s, and they had two sequels. I only saw the first one. So I knew kind of the bare premise of, yeah, it's a guy with a hook who goes around, you say his name five times, and he comes and kills you. And, you know, just straight up, the first one was nothing but a I mean, it was just yeah. a horror movie. Just for the record, you only said his name once in so far in this description, right, so correct? Safe. Okay, good. So just want to keep track. And I'm not in front of a mirror, technically, so I'm okay. Oh, it's only work with a mirror? I think, but maybe that gets kind of fudged a little bit. Okay. Maybe. All right. so I'm not sure, but I just want to keep track. Sure. Just make sure we're in the clear. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Um, so Jordan Peele helped write this, but he didn't direct it. Like I mentioned, Nia DaCosta did. And that kind of had me interested in it. Plus, when I saw the trailer, it looked like there's just a ton of style poured into this thing. And there is. The main character, who's Anthony, he is an up-and-coming artist. And his artwork just provides for a lot of really interesting visuals. And he's up and coming. His girlfriend is an, works in an art gallery, and he's trying to struggle to kind of make it big. And it, the movie does a little bit more than just be a simple horror movie because it kind of comments on class and about how you can be stereotyped as a specific type of artist. And like the people that are interested in his artwork basically just want him to do the black thing and talk mm-hmm. about how like, oh, you lived a troubled life or, you know, you're coming from the wrong side of the tracks. And he's like, okay. You know, so you have those issues being pulled there. Then you have the place to actually talk about gentrification, which this ties into the whole Candyman thing. The first movie took place in a, in a area called Cabrini Green that had mm-hmm. like some tortured history. So now they're in Cabrini Green still in this present time, but it has been gentrified. And that's mm. he's living in this really fancy apartment there. So he kind of struggles with a little bit of, am I making, mm. you know, it you know, kind of struggles a little bit with his Am I identity. taking advantage of a situation? Right. That, yeah. Um, but so all that's really cool. Um, but what, like I said, the visuals are what I really like about it. And a lot of backstory and explanation is done with these like, 
shadow puppets mm-hmm. made out of paper. And they're really cool. They show some of that in the trailer. Some yeah. of the titles actually kind of mimic some of the cutout look at, look to it. So there's a lot visually going on here. It's not just your typical horror movie. Um, it's not perfect. During the last like 20 minutes, they kind of say, okay, enough of the visuals. We're just going to become a horror movie. Yeah. So, so, But, I mean, that's what people had probably originally gone to the theater in 2021 to see was a horror movie. Um, I liked it. I think there's enough there for people that – have any interest in seeing a horror movie that has like some visual mm-hmm. touches to it. Also, I was interested to see some work of Nia DaCosta because this was like her first big film. She'd had yeah. another independent film, but this was her first big film. Her next film is going to be a Marvel movie, but it's going to be the Marvels. So it'll be interesting to see All how right. she then she's now making the jump and probably giving her a lot of money <coughs> to direct a Marvel movie. So, um, I don't know, just, uh, something interesting. You might want to check out this film if you're interested in, a kind of restylizing. I wouldn't say it's a reboot because they don't totally like retread what, mm-hmm. what the original did, but it, it's just an interesting, it was an interesting watch. So, and it's available. Um, you can rent it places, but it's also on uh, Amazon prime for free. If you okay. That is the new version of Candyman. So yes. you're, you're not recommending the original version of Candyman yeah. necessarily, but this is a re envisioning retelling kind of updated uh, modern version to some degree still kind of, Acknowledges the original oh, abso- story, yeah, absolutely. So it knows that justice so, is a continuation, right? Okay, um, great. No, I actually have had that on my list to watch for a while, and I never have gotten around to it, but I need to do that. So thank you for that recommendation. Um, my recommendation, Chris, my recommendations for most everybody out there, but it's probably not for you, Chris, because I don't think you'll like it. Huh. I mean, I'm just saying, I, I okay. just I know you well enough. <laughs> as you as you alluded to at the beginning of the show, we've done this for. Long time. 10 years? Yes, I think at least. Yeah. Worked together for almost double that. I mean, yeah, I know your movie taste. I don't think you're going to like this. It's probably why you haven't gone out and actively saw it yet. Okay. But I mentioned it in the third uh, news item, in which was Ghostbusters Afterlife. Um, I, I, this was the one that came out just, uh, I guess, 2020, I believe. Okay. And I think it was maybe one of the first movies that came out after theaters opened back up. Maybe not. One or of, it was one of the first ones as theaters were starting to wind down. It's somewhere in that mix of time, weird oh, time okay. things. I don't okay. remember so exactly. Pre pandemic or right uh, maybe post. it was post. Maybe okay. it was post. Um, so this is again, Jason Reitman, whose father, uh, Ivan directed the original Ghostbusters and sure. its sequel. Sure. Um, the original Ghostbusters is one of my all time favorite comedy movies. Actually one of my just favorite movies. Gotcha. Um, so to know that his son was getting to do a follow-up and it was actually going to follow up on the original films and not try to be a reboot, not try to do a whole new thing mm-hmm. was exciting to me. Um, I like Jason Reitman as a director, Juno up in the air. Um, Sully. Sully. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Some great movies there. I, I, Tully. Tully. Not Sully. Sully no, is Sully the is Tom the Hanks, Tom Hanks uh, <laughs> airline plight film. Right. Tully. No, Tully was yes. the one he did. Yeah. I like most all of his films I've seen. Uh, Thank You for Smoking, I think, was his very first film. See, um, you're saying all that, and that's why I was ex- like, I was like, oh, it's another Ghostbusters movie. I was like, yeah, but it's Jason Reitman, and yeah, like I like a lot of his other movies. But then I guess I, I just believed these people that we call movie critics that were like just not fans of it. So I, I never saw So actually, you're convincing me that I should give it a chance. Also because they're going to be doing a sequel. So that makes me think, yeah. well, it couldn't have been terrible. Cause well, well let same. me tell you the reasons I liked it. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong, Chris, maybe I'm judging you wrong. I, 
but I also you're, you're lowering my expectations. Okay. But I'll also tell you the reasons I think you will not may not like it. Okay. Um, this is Ghostbusters Afterlife. Uh, it is a new set of characters okay. for the vast majority of the film. It is a new setting. Uh, the film takes place out in a rural Oklahoma, which is kind of a unique place to think about doing a ghost movie or yes. especially a Ghostbusters movie. Um, it a um, couple things about it. It is less comedic than I think the original Ghostbusters. So do not expect slapstick or not even slapstick. Don't expect the same level of humor you would get because you don't have a Bill Murray you or a Dan Aykroyd. Yeah. Paul Rudd's not that funny in the film. I I, I think he's tried. Well, wow. I'll get Throwing to that in a minute. Shade. I'll get to that in a minute. <laughs> okay. Um, it is a much more serious film. Okay. Okay. And that even in the, the style, the look of it, it's kind of got a lot darker tones to it. Uh, it is about a family that was kind of on, on the ropes financially. They had to move basically to move into this, an old relative's house that was basically bequested to them or they got in the, when their relative passed away, hmm. they're there because they can't afford to be anywhere else. The mother's you know, unemployed and trying to raise these kids. It's just, there's a lot going on to process. And, and uh, you know, I think Jason Reitman does pretty good with family dynamics. So the kids that played by Finn Wolfhard and McKenna Grace are both pretty good. I will say McKenna Grace as the young girl, Phoebe, very good. Hmm. She is. What else has she been in? I could not tell you, okay, but she is very good in this somewhere. movie. Okay. Very good. Again, I'm not giving away anything, but she plays a, a certain character type that becomes very clear later in the film, why she's playing it that way. Hmm. And, um, you know, the film does have, I, I think there's moments that are actually scarier than the original Ghostbusters. There are some legit scary moments. Even in the opening sequence, I actually think it's kind of a, a tense, frightening uh, sequence. Interesting. Um, I know you're selling this pretty good. All right. So um, what's the stuff I'm not going to like? <laughs> here's the thing that you're not going to like. Okay. Um, about halfway through the film, uh, it's very clear that, that the director and, and filmmakers have decided that we're, we know people won't the original Ghostbusters, like the, we, they love all the moments from the original film. We're going to give them as many of those moments as humanly possible. Oh. Hmm. Like insanely religious to the original movie to where there are scenes that are just spot on. We're going to redo this again. Wow. And it's a little unnerving after a while. I mean, it's a little much. I mean, there's a point in the film there's a point in the film where I was starting to roll my eyes a bit and be like, okay, you were, you had me, right. you were really going on an original take an original story. But I just feel like now you're just fitting everything into, we got to have the two people turn into the dogs and we got to have the thing up on the roof and we oh, got to have wow. this and we got to have Seriously. that. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, that's the part that loses me on this. Now hmm. I'm still recommending the film because I think there's a lot here to enjoy. I think it's well-made. Um, any thoughts of the original cast who, I mean, I'm not going to spoil that. They are, they were touted as they have a role in the film and yes, sure. they are in the film. They're present somehow. Their role, uh, I don't think was handled as well as it could have their, their appearances, the way they were integrated in the film was not terribly effective. Better or worse than Spider-Man No Way Home. <sighs> I don't know. It's a tough call. <laughs> Actually, I think this may be a little worse the oh, way they're no. the way they're sandwiched in. Oh no! But there are some touching moments towards the end. 
So overall, I'm, I'm saying it's a recommendation. I right. like the movie. Gotcha. I'm looking forward to kind of seeing it again because I think I'm the only one in my family that's seen it and others, I think, are interested in seeing it. So I'll probably end up watching it again at some point. Okay. It's a recommendation, Chris. I just know that the whole beat you over the head with nostalgia yeah. is not your cup of tea, so you may have some difficulty with the latter half of this film. But you've said enough and reminded me enough of why I was interested in seeing it in the first place that I, I am curious. Well, do you recall in the trailers, I don't know if you saw a whole sequence that was released in the trailers of the Stay Puff Marshmallow animated marshmallows in a grocery store? Yes, I do remember okay. that. When you hit that scene, just... No, from there on out. Okay. Yep. That's the scene at the at the theater. I'm like, okay, here we here, go. Here, here we, we go. go. <laughs> um, okay. I was really a big fan of this movie up to this point. Losing me a little bit after this point, but uh, yeah. Anyway, okay. that is Ghostbusters Afterlife. That's my recommendation. So a uh, couple, couple interesting ones, some, some throwback films, some films with some nostalgia make, baked in from both of us. Mm-hmm. It's good. Okay, Chris. Well, I think we are done. We are wrapped up. So our reviews of Elvis our reviews of cha-cha real smooth. We talked about uh, Australia. We talked about glass onions, talked about ghostbusters a lot, actually a lot of <laughs> ghostbusters. And we talked about Candyman. So that's kind of an eclectic show. As far as I'm concerned, a lot uh, of things yeah. covered in this episode, Chris, we threw out a lot of opinions. We gave, we threw out a little shade on some films and <laughs> others. If anybody has any beef to kind of take up with us or comments, they'd like to make about anything we said or their own reviews, how can they get a hold of us for that? You can tell us why we need to watch the new Minions movie by emailing us at... The Rise of Gru. There you go. Info at footcandle.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at footcandlefilm. Al and I are also on Letterboxd, where we track what we're seeing and try to leave little reviews every once in a while. Do us a favor. If you like the show, consider giving us a star rating or write a review. Share with your friends on whatever service you receive your favorite podcast on to help us reach new listeners. We'd appreciate that. Alan did do a good job of teasing at the beginning of the show about our upcoming film festival uh, being held in North Carolina, Hickory, North Carolina, September 21st through the 25th. Uh, We'd love to have you come. Or if you're in the state of North Carolina, we will make the movies available streaming so you can uh, attend that way. Great. Lots of ways to contact us. Lots of ways to get involved. We hope to see you in September. That'd be a lot of fun. That would be. Uh, we're going to have a good time with our film festival this year being held in the beautiful uh, Hickory Community Theater in downtown Hickory, as well as some other venues around the area. Uh, FootCandleFilmFestival.com. Did you mention the website? I did not. Yeah, that's it. FootCandleFilmFestival.com. Um, we'll be announcing the films and schedule by mid-July. Correct. Mid to uh, mid later July, definitely by the end of July. Uh, recommend go check that out and come join us in September for all of that. Okay, Chris, we're wrapping it up. Thanks everybody for listening to Foot Candle Films. We hope to talk to you next time with some new reviews, news, and recommendations. Thanks everyone. See you in the ticket line. Special thanks to Carpal Toller for the show theme music. 
For more about Carpal Tuller, visit www.carpaltuller.com. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.